Well, good morning, everyone. It is really good to see you. And if, uh, if you're new to the Vista, I am not a guest preacher for the morning. I have been on a little bit of a sabbatical for the last couple months, and I just want to say thank you uh, to you, our church, for, um, for allowing that, and, and our elders in particular for, um, for that gracious gift, and to our staff who uh, did a fantastic job uh, while I was out. Um, everything seems to have worked like normal, which is both good and a little bit scary because I might come back and people go, so what does Dave actually do here? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, but it's really good to be back with you. Um, I was able to visit some, uh, some other churches and see some friends, and uh, I can say that there is no place like home. Um, it's, uh, it's really a blessing to be back and I'm grateful. Um, it went by really quick. Like, I don't know, the older I get, maybe you feel this way, like the older I get, the, uh, it seems like time flies faster and faster every single year. And so um, these last two months have gone by really, really quickly. And yet, during these two months, it seems like a lot has happened. And so I thought it'd be good to maybe just give you um, kind of some highlights of some things that happened while I was out. Um, number one, we, we had two holidays right? Uh, We had Halloween and Thanksgiving, and I don't know how you celebrated those two holidays. Hope that you uh, had fun and enjoyed and had a good time and had a, you know, time with family or whatever, but, you know, two big holidays this fall while I was out. Um, In addition, you know, there were some elections that happened. Maybe you heard of them. I don't know. Uh, Both local and nationwide, the midterm elections. I don't know whether your particular candidate or candidates won those elections, but I, for one, am glad that those are over so that I can stop getting the text and the, the phone calls and the ads that interrupt my ball game. Um, it's great that those are, those are over. We made it through, though. We made it through, and we're all still here. Um, someone named T. Swift came out with a new album. I don't know if you're big T. Swift fans or not, and then apparently all of her fans proceeded to break the internet trying to get tickets to her concert, so I, hopefully you got your, your Taylor Swift tickets while I was out. I don't know that worked for you. It's, uh, there's been a lot of football played while I was gone in the fall. That may or may not have played into my desire to take my sabbatical in the fall as a bit of a football fan. Uh, some teams did really well. UMHB, man, I was at their game yesterday. They continue their march right on through the, the D3 playoffs, and so they won a lot of football games. Um, other teams... Not so much, right? <laughs> Not so much. I, man, of all the years to take the sabbatical, I have missed a lot of Aggie jokes this fall. A lot of good sermon content. I will be making up for that. Um, and then finally, I, I made it through almost half of my sabbatical before I got the first angry email about something that was said in a sermon. So that's below average, a little below average. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. There's a lot of other things that happened while I was gone. Those were just uh, some of the big ones that I thought I would share with you. If you have your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in Luke chapter 1. The text that was just read is our Advent text. Um, And I'll give you a bit of a heads up as to where we're heading. And so for the next several weeks will be our Advent series. And we're going to be, Austin and I are going to be in Luke's gospel, uh, looking at some of the things that lead up to the birth of Christ. A lot of times in the Christmas season, we tend to want to jump right into the birth of Jesus, but there's some things leading up to the birth of Jesus that are really important. And so for Advent this year, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and um, I'm going to start there today. And then um, we will have four Christmas Eve services this year. So we will have one on Christmas Eve Eve, which will be Friday evening. 
We'll have three then on Christmas Eve, which is Saturday. And if you have family in town, we would encourage you to just bring them and come celebrate Christmas with us on one of our Christmas Eve services, and you can plan on that. Some people have asked, we are not going to have services on Christmas morning here at the church. We are going to be doing a, a, a service that we're going to live stream if you and your family want to uh, hop on and join in on that. But we'll do one live, uh, live stream service um, on Christmas morning, but no services here. Then the following week on New Year's Day, we will have two services here. Um, those will be family worship, so our, most, a lot of our kids will be in here with us on that particular Sunday on New Year's Day. And then the second week of January, we'll be back to our normal schedule, our three morning worship services uh, like normal, all right? And so just kind of a heads up as to what the, the next month or so will, will look like. Um, in Luke chapter one, I, I would just remind you that, that Luke gives us probably the most thorough and comprehensive look at what we call the Christmas story um, out of all of the gospel writers. Luke was a doctor and a historian. He paid careful attention to detail, but without Luke writing these things down for us, uh, a lot of what we we know about the events leading up to the birth of Christ, um, we just simply would not know. And so um, Austin and I are gonna be in Luke this year as we kind of work our way through the Christmas story. And today in particular, we are introduced to this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And really what I want to talk about this morning is this idea of learning to wait patiently on the Lord. Um, Advent is a word that comes from a Latin word meaning arrival. And of course, it's about celebrating the arrival of Jesus into human history. God in the flesh comes to live and dwell among us. And Advent as a season is a season that's about waiting patiently for the Lord, a season of hope and anticipation as we we gear up for Christmas. And so I want to read a little bit about their story because I believe Zachariah and Elizabeth teach us a great deal about learning to wait patiently on the Lord. And so it was just read, I'll read a piece of this here in Luke chapter 1 verse 5 says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so right out of the gate, we're introduced to this couple, and and what you learn about them is they are both from priestly families, okay? They're both from priestly families. So think pastor's kids, okay? You got a couple of pastor's kids. Now, I'm a pastor's kid, and I don't know what you've heard about pastor's kids. I'm going to guess some not-so-nice things, right? Pastor's kids are the worst. They're rebellious. Don't ever let them date your daughter, stuff like that, right? Well, the text just told us that that's not true, didn't it? That's Dave's standard version of what the text said, right? I mean, it says that they're righteous before God. They're blameless in all the commands and the statutes of God. So these are pastor's kids that are pretty good. They're pretty good. In fact, they're really good. They're, they're better than all of us, right? I mean, I don't know how many of you would describe yourselves as righteous before God and blameless in all the commandments and statutes of, of the Lord. I certainly can't say that. Like, that's not on my resume, right? And it says, so, so they're, listen, this is not... This is not their description of themselves. This is God's description of them. They walked righteously. They were unbelievably faithful faithful couple. But it uses, again, the word but. It says they're faithful, they're righteous, they follow the commands, but they 
They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were advanced in years. Culturally, to have no child, um, man, it was seen as a sign of God's disfavor. It was seen as a sign of like, you might have some unconfessed sin in your life that you need to get right with God. It, it would certainly not have been seen as like God's blessing them for their faithfulness, God's blessing them because they obey God. It would have actually been seen culturally as the opposite, that there is something wrong with you. There's some really bad teaching, and of course, today, we know that that is absolutely not the case, that we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world, and, and things don't always work out the way we hope and the way we plan, but back then, this would have been a sign of huge disgrace. This would have been a sign of no blessing or a lack of blessing. When it comes to waiting on the Lord, one thing that we must realize is if we're going to be people who wait on the Lord and wait on the Lord well, we're going to have to learn to be faithful during some very difficult seasons of life. The Bible talks a lot about learning God's people learning to wait for him. Psalm 37, 7 says to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. One of the more popular verses in all of the Old Testament is Isaiah 40, verse 31. You've probably seen it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker at some point. It says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There's a lot, of, a lot of waiting, a lot of God's people learning to wait on the Lord because God is often doing something in the waiting. It doesn't mean God is slow. It doesn't mean God's not hearing you. It means God is usually growing and preparing and doing something in the waiting. If we're going to be people that learn to wait patiently on the Lord, it's going to require some faithfulness during some very difficult seasons of life. And Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us to be faithful when there is no perceived blessing. Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us to be faithful when there is no perceived blessing blessing. Again, culturally, you've got people that are walking with God. They're obeying God's commands. They're working hard to walk in righteousness before the Lord, and yet it doesn't appear that God is blessing them the way that you often would think God would bless them. You see, it's one thing to be obedient to the Lord when the perception is God is really blessing you. God is giving you what you want. You're living a blessed life, but it's it's another thing to continue to walk in faithfulness when the perception is that you're not being blessed or the perception is that God's blessing other people, but he's not really blessing you. Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us to be faithful even in those seasons when there is no perceived blessing. We continue in the story in, in verse eight. It says, now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This was a really big deal. Um, Zechariah, as a priest, this would have been something he had hoped to do his whole life. There were over 18,000 priests in all of Judea. And so they had to choose by lot which ones were going to get to uh, be a part of this. You get to go into the holy place and you get to burn the incense there before the altar of the Lord for all of the people. And then you come out and you get to pronounce the blessing and, and recite the scripture uh, before all of the people. This was a, a, an honor. This would have been like Zechariah has climbed to the pinnacle of his profession. He was chosen by lot. A lot of priests never got chosen ever in their whole life. And if you ever were chosen, you didn't get to do it again. You, you only did it one time your whole life. And so Zechariah, he finally gets the lot chosen. 
It, it fell to him, and he gets to go into the holy place, and he gets to burn this sacred uh, sacrifice for the people. It's his big day, you might say. And then it says, in verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, he, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. We'll come back to that in a minute. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the power and the spirit of Elijah to turn their hearts to the fathers, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so this, of course, is the announcement of uh, John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist is, is going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. As I look at this text, I read this this week over and over and over again, it just kind of, this kind of uh, dawned on me that like Zechariah is into the temple, he's, it's his big day finally, and an angel, a heavenly being shows up. We learn later that it's the angel Gabriel, one of only two angels mentioned by name um, in the Bible. And Zechariah is afraid, which is a normal response when, when people encountered a, a heavenly being of some sort. And the angel says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, my first thought if I'm Zechariah is, what prayer exactly? Like, here's what I want you to think about. Do you think that Zechariah and Elizabeth continued day after day after day after day their whole lives, even on into their senior adult years, to pray daily for a child? We don't know for sure, but I have a hard time believing that, that that's the case. Like, I would imagine that at some point, I'll bet Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a child. They begged God for a child probably for years, maybe decades. They prayed for this and prayed for this and prayed for this. But I'm going to guess that as they realized she was barren, is what the scripture says, unable to have children, and as they got into their senior adult years, my guess is that they probably had sort of given up on that. They probably assumed God's answer was no. They probably had sort of come to terms with the fact that this is not going to happen for us. And yet, here's the angel showing up many, many, many years later going, I heard you, right? God heard you. I love that because it just reminds me that God hears our prayers. Like maybe you're at a place right now where you have been asking God for something, begging God for something, or maybe it was years ago a prayer that you continually prayed and maybe you think God's not hearing you. Uh, the answer is no. It could be, it could be that maybe his answer's just different than, than the one you want. But God hears us. God hears our prayer. Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us to be faithful when your prayers seemingly go unanswered. Be faithful when your prayers seemingly go unanswered. What we hear in the scripture, what we see right here is that uh, they had been praying for years, praying and praying and praying and begging God for this thing that's just not happening. And again, uh, for a lot of people, that would have been a reason to show a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness to maybe shake your fist at God or walk away from your faith or get frustrated. But we just read about Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were faithful, they were righteous, they, they continued to obey all of the commands of God even when it seemed like their prayer was not being answered. Now, I know Austin just finished a series on prayer. I've talked about prayer before, but God tends to answer our prayers in one of three ways, right? Yes, no, 
And then often his answer to our prayer is to wait. It's to wait. I know how much we all love to wait. I know how patient we are as a people, right? All right? God often responds with wait. I was thinking about this as a dad. When, I, when my boys ask me something, those, that tends to be the way that I respond to them. I, I, I either say yes. Sometimes as a parent, we get to say yes. Sometimes I, I say no. Generally, when I say no, it's, it's for their own good, even though they may not realize it in the moment. And then a lot of times my response to them is some version of wait. Not now, later. Stop asking me. No, I'm just kidding. I, like, sometimes we, we give a version of wait. Now, if you're a parent in here, there is a fourth way that I sometimes respond to my kids. Anybody want to guess what that is? Sure. Go ask your mom. That's right. <laughs> That's it. Sometimes I will say, go ask your mom, right? Now, I do that um, either when, when I don't really care one way or the other. the moment. Yeah, you can judge me all you want, but you do it too. It's fine. <laughs> judge me all you want. And I feel pretty confident God will not, will not, that will not be a way God answers you. Like God doesn't have a spouse. And so he's not going to be like, go ask your mom. He might theoretically, I guess he could tell you to go ask your earthly mom. Maybe she's full of wisdom. I don't know. But usually God's going to say yes or no, or a lot of times it's, it's wait. And maybe you have been praying for something. Maybe you've been going to God for something and you've assumed that God's answer is no when it may just be that he's saying, wait, the time is not, is not right. Wait. Zechariah and Elizabeth had probably gotten to a place in their lives where they assumed God's answer was no, that this was not going to happen for them. And yet God shows up years and years and years later and says, I heard you and you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. Your prayer has been heard. One other thing I wanted to mention, and and I don't want to chase this rabbit too far down the trail, but it mentions here in the text that John, so John is born, and or when John is born, that it says um, that he must not drink wine or strong drink. Um, I wanted to mention this because I have, um, I know some have sort of taken this verse and kind of pulled it out and used this as a sort of blanket prescription that therefore, see, Christians should never, ever, ever drink alcohol. And what I would just tell you about this text is that it is not, um, it is not a prescriptive text. It is, it is a descriptive text. John the Baptist was under some, um, followed some of the Nazarite vows. Um, and so there's a reason for that. It is not a prescription for all people. And again, I would remind you, Jesus's very first miracle was turning water into wine. And so I have a hard time believing that if drinking any, any alcohol at all was like sinful, that Jesus would have done something like turn water into wine, causing people to, you know, be sinful. Um, I've said this before, but there are certainly some people who should not drink, right? If you are someone who struggles with moderation, with alcohol, because drunkenness, biblically, is clearly a sin. And so if you're someone who that is a particular struggle for you, then I would say you, you absolutely should not drink. Um, in addition, what we learn about John If you read about John's life, what you're going to see is John was a particularly odd and very intense guy, right? We learn about John the Baptist, right? He's he's uh, he's like this grizzly Adams-looking backwoods guy. He lives in the wilderness or like the desert. He has an odd diet of like bugs and sugar. He ate locusts and wild honey, Um, and then he shouted at people to repent all the time. He's just like. Again, he wore um, odd clothing. And so you've got a really odd and a really intense guy. And I think the last thing you need to add to that combination is alcohol, right? Like you all know that person where you're like, yeah, you should never drink ever. Um, 
In addition, he probably should only have decaf coffee and definitely no energy drinks, right? There's just some people that that is not good for them, okay? Um, maybe you know that person. Maybe you are that person. I don't know. But this was John, okay? He, he grows up. He's under somewhat of the Nazarite vow. And, um, and then it says that, again, he would have the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, from his mother's womb. Um, we'll continue the story in, in verse 18. So Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this? Seems like a legitimate question, right? How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. What a deal for Elizabeth, huh? I mean, she is blessed. She finally gets the child she's been praying for her whole life. Like she thought it's never gonna happen and God blesses her with a kid and then her husband can't talk to her for nine months. Like how many of you would just love for God to do this to one of your family members, right? Like you just got that person, you're like, if they could, God, if you could shut them up for nine months. That would be the best Christmas gift I could ever get, right? This is what's Elizabeth, like, I don't know why this is the, this is the thing, but like God says, hey, you, you didn't believe there seems to be some element of Zechariah lacking um, uh, like doubt and, and struggle that, that, that God's actually going to do what the angel said God was going to do. And so he becomes, he becomes mute and he can't talk. He can't talk for the duration of the, of the pregnancy. I don't know, it might've been a good deal for him as well. I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, he was supposed to come out and talk to the people after offering the, uh, after offering the sacrifice. And so verse 21 tells us that uh, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. It's taking longer than it should take to, to burn the incense in there. They're out there just kind of you know, wondering what happened. Listen, if Austin or I go more than about 25, 30 minutes, man, some of you are like, okay, let's wrap it up, like land the plane. Cowboys are starting. We got to get to the Sol de Jalisco. We got stuff to do, man. Like, I know how it is. I know. I've been there. People are out there. They're looking at their watches. They got to get to Sol de Drew. I don't know where they're going at, you know, but they're wondering what's taking so long. Like, what's taking him so long? And so then he, he finally comes out in verse 22. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them. And, but he remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he, he went to his home. So Luke leaves out some stuff. I, I don't know what, how that kind of wrapped up. But essentially, Zechariah comes out, and he, they're expecting him to talk and to recite some things and lead them in this, you know, some readings, and, and he can't say anything. And so he's trying to sign to them, and they don't know what he's talking about. Luke says his time of service ended, and he goes home. Here's what I wanted to kind of end with and wrap up. Verse 24. So after these days... His wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Again, it's a little different in our culture, but again, back then I really can't overstate the fact that to not have children um, for them would have been seen as a lack of blessing, a sign of disfavor. God is angry with you. There was a lot of shame and a lot of reproach. Um, and, and so you can feel the weight of this for Elizabeth. Her whole life she's dealt with people, maybe people talking, people mocking, a lot of gossip. She's dealt with this shame and this reproach. There was definitely, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was a lot of disappointment and a lot of grief 
Some of you have been there. And some of you know exactly that disappointment and that grief. There's things or aspects of your life that have not turned out the way that you hoped that they would. I suspect one way or another, all of us have been in that situation. We can point to an episode or a moment or a thing or a relationship. It just hasn't, hasn't happened the way we thought that it would. Some of you had hope, hoped to be married and you're single. Some of you want to be parents and you don't have any children. Some of you want to be generous to others. You long to be generous to other people and yet maybe you're struggling yourself to, to get by paycheck to paycheck and you just, you just can't be as generous as you'd like to be. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently and you long to, to be with them again. A lot of times our lives just don't turn out the way we think. Some of you maybe have gone through a divorce. You never thought you would be divorced. Zechariah and Elizabeth respond, no doubt, they had a lot of grief and a lot of disappointment. And, and I'm here to tell you that those are normal, natural responses when there is a godly longing of your heart that goes unmet. You don't have to feel guilty or shameful about that. When there is a, a, a longing in your heart, a, a holy, a good longing in your heart that seemingly goes unmet, like sometimes the only response is grief and disappointment, and that's no doubt what Zechariah and Elizabeth experience, but they teach us to be faithful even in the midst of our grief and our disappointment. Zechariah and Elizabeth are a beautiful example of this godly couple that had all these reasons to be angry with God and to run away from their faith and to stop serving and stop loving other people because after all, God wasn't blessing them and God wasn't giving them what, what they wanted even when they were extremely faithful and yet they never do that. They never do that. They're faithful when there is no perceived blessing. They're faithful when it seems like their prayers are going unanswered. They're faithful in the midst of their grief and their disappointment. I'm reminded as I read their story about some of the parallels between their story and the story of the nation of Israel, God's people. You see, they had prayed for, longed for, hoped for a child, just as the nation of Israel had prayed for, longed for, hoped for a Messiah that would ultimately come in the form of a child. Zechariah and Elizabeth had probably reached a point where they assumed it wasn't going to happen. It was too late. Well, the nation of Israel... There had been no word from a prophet for hundreds of years. Like 400 years, they had heard nothing else. Many of them had probably assumed it either wasn't going to happen or it certainly wasn't going to happen in their lifetime. Ultimately, we see that when their baby came, it says, as Elizabeth prayed here, that this, this child, she thanks God for taking away her reproach, her shame. Church, that, that's the same thing that Jesus would do ultimately for us when he goes to the cross. He takes away our guilt and our shame and our reproach and our sin. You see, that's why Jesus comes, ultimately to go to a cross, right? To go to a cross, to give up his life on that cross in our place for our sin. Jesus would have the same effect. He would remove our guilt and our shame and our reproach. As I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, I'm reminded that we can be faithful when there's no perceived blessing? Because the truth is, we have already been blessed way more than we deserve in Christ. I've said it before, like, if God doesn't do another thing for me as long as I live, he has already done too much in the person and work of Jesus. And so we can be faithful when there's no perception that we're being blessed because you need to realize, we need to realize we have already been blessed. We are blessed by God in Christ. We can be faithful 
When it seems like our prayers are going unanswered because, number one, God hears us. And number two, his answer may just be to wait. His answer may just be to wait. And finally, we can be faithful when there's grief and disappointment, and there will be grief and disappointment. Nobody gets through life without grief and disappointment. But we can be faithful in the midst of that because we know that our grief and our disappointment will not last forever. That ultimately God will get the last word and our joy will be restored. And so I don't know where you are this morning in life. I don't know if there's a particular thing that you're begging God for, approaching God for, a prayer, a thing. But I can promise you that God hears you, that God loves you, that he's, his, his uh, you know, what is perceived as a lack of an answer is not God being slow. It may be God just saying, wait. And we as a people, if Advent teaches us anything, it's about learning to be people who wait well and wait on the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for um, this time of year, God, and all that it means. Such a beautiful time of year. A lot of hope, a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation. But God, I also know that for some people this time of year, it's hard. It can be a difficult season for some. Because all of us at moments and times in our life have expectations and hopes that have gone unmet. So God, I just pray wherever we are this year that you would just be very near to us. I pray that we would sense and feel your presence, your peace, your joy. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that, that like Zechariah and Elizabeth, that in the midst of all of it, that we would remain faithful to you. That you would teach us, God, how to be people who wait, wait well for you. And we just confess, Father, that that is really hard to do. That we, in all honesty, are just not a very patient people. So we ask that you help us to wait patiently for the Lord. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.